0: Hello, everyone. I am Chris Hyams, CEO of Indeed, and welcome to the next episode of Here to Help. At Indeed, our mission is to help people get jobs. This is what gets us out of bed in the morning and what keeps us going all day. And what powers that mission is our people. Here to help is a look at how experience, strength, and hope inspires people to want to help others. I am very excited to introduce our very special guest for today's episode. Adam Orman is the co-owner and general manager of Locadoro an Italian-inspired neighborhood restaurant here in Austin. Austin is a vibrant food city and Locodoro is my absolute favorite restaurant in Austin. But that's not why Adam is my guest today. Adam and the Locodoro team are advocates of one fair wage. And as you'll hear, everything about the business is rooted in sustainability and equity. Adam is also co founder of Good Work Austin, a socially responsible community of local businesses in Austin invested in creating good jobs for all workers, ensuring a quality workplace, and supporting and amplifying the voices of like minded businesses. They value cooperation, inclusion, shared opportunity, equality, and fairness in the operation of Austin businesses. Adam is also a good friend. I'm thrilled to have him here as a guest. Adam, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to spend Monday morning with you. Well, let's start where we always start these conversations. How are you doing right now,
1: today? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. It's Monday, uh, second week of school. Both of my kids forgot their lunches. So if that's uh, uh, the worst thing that happens, we're, we're probably in pretty good shape today.
0: Well, let's start by talking a little bit about the restaurant, Locadoro and tell us what kind of restaurant it is and what makes it special in your eyes. Yeah,
1: so um, I have been in the restaurant industry uh, for almost 25 years now in New York and San Francisco and, and Austin, and uh, Locadoro opened in June of 16. Uh, my business partner, Fiore Tedesco, is the chef. Here uh, and we had worked together for a couple of years uh, prior to opening the the, the restaurant itself uh, on doing pop ups and and house parties and catering and uh, determining basically whether or not we had we could work together had some of the same principles and and it and we did um, we really wanted to uh, uh, open a restaurant in the same with the same uh, same ideas and. Um, on the kitchen side, that meant uh, making as much as possible in-house and and buying as little as possible, having as little as possible shipped, um working with local farms uh, and that was how we were going to be Italian. You know we were we we're gonna use we're not going to be slaves to an italian American menu. Uh, we're going to just be fresh and seasonal, but kind of through an Italian and through an Italian lens. so um, we make all our own breads and pastas and fresh cheeses and cured meats. Uh, we do the same behind the bar, making all of our spirits and liqueurs, um, and uh, and really do do what the farms use use what the farms bring to us, rather than kind of saying this is what's on the menu. Uh, we need you to start growing more of more of it. Um, and then on the labor side, we knew we uh, we never wanted to pay. 213 an hour uh he had also worked in pr- principally in new york and um and we at first just thought that's a that's a to come back to a state like texas where the where it's legally allowed um uh, for folks who either aren't in texas or aren't in a, or, or aren't in the states um the tipped minimum wage changes from state to state in america and in Austin, you are allowed to pay two thirteen an hour plus tips as long as your employees make it to seven twenty five an hour. Um, that is legal, and that wasn't going to be okay with us, um, mostly just because we didn't think that that was a livable wage. Um, I'll get into a little bit more of that later, but uh um so we knew that that was something that we didn't want to compromise on, and we also knew that we wanted to figure out a way for kitchen and service uh, to make a more equitable wage. Um, typically in casual fine dining restaurants, servers could make two, three, four times as much as the folks in the kitchen. And we wanted to figure out a way to get those numbers closer to each other. Um, and what that meant in this in 2016 and is still true, maybe even more so in 2022 is that we needed to create a space where, uh, it was really special to come here um there are great markets in austin where you can buy incredible food there's lots of there's lots of ways to figure out to find out how to cook it uh, at home and it will be less expensive for you to do that um so what were we going to what was going to be special about locadora that was going to make it so that you um you needed to come here because you weren't probably going to be fermenting you know, you weren't going to probably also have 12 fish sauces that you'd fermented along with the house-made pasta that you you made. And I know you are one who does actually make your own pasta. So um, there are folks who are doing that, but um, we needed to do even more. And then on the service side, we needed to make sure that when you came in, uh, we were we were doing something to guide you through the whole experience that, that it was still, that it was approachable. It was accessible. It was not, um, there were going to be a lot of Italian words on the menu, but, uh, we were going to help you get the things in front of you that were going to make you the happiest that for that night and and be able to kind of leave,
0: leave everything else behind for a minute. So, so if you're going to open a restaurant, uh, those feel like elements that, um, would be unique and inspiring why open a restaurant? So you, you said you'd worked in the, in the restaurant business for, for 25 years. Anyone maybe who's recently watched the bear on, on Hulu has some opinions about what working at a restaurant is, what was the, why did you personally want to open a new restaurant?
1: Uh, for a number of reasons and, um, all apologies to Hulu. I will watch the bear when everybody stops telling me to watch the bear. Um, so we can have that conversation in like 2024. Um, you know, I have seen a number of different restaurants, uh, open. Um, I've been a part of the opening of many. I've been a part of some that were really great. Um, that had already been open for many years and, uh, and I'd worked in, in Austin for a couple of years before opening, uh, Locodoro and same was true for Fiore. And we really wanted to, um, we should, we had a lot of ideas of what, uh, of what that should look like, uh, of what it could look like and, um, wanted to be able to create a restaurant, uh, where that was more, um, I want to say more hospitable to the employees as well as the guests. Yeah. We wanted to be able to do that. We wanted to be able to show that, that, uh. And I, and I say that like as a, it, 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 not in a arrogant way, but we wanted to see if it was possible. That's the less arrogant way to say it, to do all the things that we wanted and provide better pay, better benefits, uh, and, and create kind of the neighborhood place, uh, with really sort of refined, unique, uh, menu, um, this is definitely from what I've heard part of the bear. Um, it's an industry that invites challenge and competition, and we are both pretty competitive people by nature and um,
2: needed to see if needed to see if our if those ideas could
0: exist in in real life so let's talk you talked a little bit about the um how different minimum wage is for, uh, for tipped fields. And there's a, a very long history of minimum wage and, and how it's set, but let's talk a little bit about tipping in particular. Um, and we've had this conversation and you you have a, a, um, a set of um, perspectives on this that I think most people who maybe haven't worked in the services industry hadn't thought about. Can you talk about your your journey in, in exploring the history of tipping and, and what it means? Yeah, it
1: has taken up a lot of, uh, it's ended up taking up a lot of our time here and I, you know, I find myself having way more of these conversations than I do about like Tagliatelle. Um, when we started, we thought that we could just do this and, and tell people and tell our employees, Hey, we're going to start paying you. You're going to make an $8 an hour plus tips, which is better than $2 an hour plus tips. Right. And that we could include a service charge so that we would be able to share some of the, some of that with the kitchen. And uh, and that we'd just be able to explain that to our guests and our employees and and uh, and we'd be off and running. And that was not the case Um, that the 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 tradition of tipping, the culture of tipping is so ingrained here um, that uh, that we definitely needed. I definitely need to do some work uh, and find out. What people had done before us, and what better methods of messaging there were, and what I found out from finding um, national organizations like One Fair Wage and the Restaurant Opportunities Center was that was sort of the with the history of tipping. And tipping comes from uh, comes straight out of Reconstruction, Uh, Mm -hmm. post slavery. uh, The jobs that most uh, freed uh, uh, freed formerly enslaved peoples were in were jobs that. were jobs where tipping became the norm. So uh, there was a $0 wage at the time, and jobs like porters, servers, uh, uh, shoeshine uh, attendees were paid only in tips. Um, fast forward to the early part of the 20th century, the tip minimum wage goes from zero up to a quarter. Uh, fast forward another 70 years to 1991, and, um, and it is at $2 and 13 cents because it's been indexed to the federal minimum wage. It has to stay at 50%. The federal minimum wage was going to go up in 1991 and the national restaurant association lobbied hard to, uh, remove that index so that the tipped minimum wage would not also would not continue to stay at 50% of the federal minimum wage. Um, it wasn't going to go to 70, 20, and, and so and they won. Um, the tipped minimum wage has not changed from 213 since 1991. Uh, of course, the federal minimum wage has only gone up twice since then as well. But, uh, um, you know, obviously that's a problem. And it is left to the states. So all states, most states have different, uh, different ways of, of handling this. Some, are, some have one fair wage where the tipped minimum wage is the same as the state minimum wage. Um, which could be as much as $15 in some some West Coast states. Some it's anywhere in the middle. It could be three, it could be six. And nobody knows. The thing I always say is like, if you go on a road trip from California to Texas, you're going to pass through five different wage environments on your way. And you're probably not going to tip any differently. So your server has made your server who has done the same job. You could even go to the same restaurant. You could go to the same chain restaurant in each of those States. Your (laughs) server will have served the same food and done the same job and made a different amount of money based solely on where, which state you happen to be in at the time. So that's problematic. Um, it's problematic because 70% of the workforce is, is women. um, and the majority of the workforce is, um, BIPOC, uh, in the hospitality industry. So the folks who are making the least are the folks who have been, uh, traditionally the most marginalized. And I, I mean, I think it's pretty easy to say that the reason that there hasn't been more movement on the tip to minimum wage is because those are the groups who are suffering under the tip minimum wage the most. Um, there are also given that, uh, employee universe um tremendous amount of sexual harassment related to tipping not just between employees and guests because guests obviously you obviously have to you know put up with whatever it is that you have to put up with in order to make your tip uh, which is the bulk of your wage but also with your managers with your hosts with your kitchen Um, if you need your food at a certain time in a certain way um you need to put up with harassment from the kitchen if you need to work a certain schedule because you need to be on Friday and Saturday night because that's when most of the money gets made you need to put up potentially with sexual harassment from your managers if you need your section to get sat um and not uh, and what instead of just watching the person next door to you get all the table you need to potentially put up with sexual harassment from the host um that's not okay uh you know somebody somebody's Monthly rent should not be dependent on all of those human factors. Um, and finally, the 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 uh, the act of tipping is very much rooted. Is the Economic Policy Institute has shown repeatedly that tips are uh, based much more on the gender and race of your uh, of the server than they are on the quality of the service. So white men are at the top of that ladder, making the largest percentage of tips and, um, and black women are at the bottom of that ladder with, you know, everyone else scattered somewhere in the middle. Um, also, you know, not something that we, we don't want to leave, uh, that, so we don't want to leave our employees' wages up to the whims of our guests. Um, what I usually say to the guests is so that sometimes, so that we don't have to necessarily have this whole conversation is that, uh, you also, uh, your tip can, your receipt can blow away. Um, this, you could, the, the guest could take the wrong copy. Um, a server could put it in their apron and spill water and, uh, you know, and, and lose, and, and that receipt can turn to mush. Um, so if you don't want to get into the other part of the conversation the more serious part of the conversation and just leave it there uh no employees wages should be based on you know the wind for instance um so that's how we started so that's what we learned over our first year and a half of kind of working with other restaurants and meeting other groups and really diving into the history and um
0: sort of economic impacts of of dipping yeah, thank you for sh- for sharing that. I mean, I I I'd known some of the history, but uh in in talking to you and hearing you talk about this, um there's clearly so much more that uh that I and I, I would imagine a lot of other people did not know. And so I, I'd love to I, I think we have a a good sense about Locadoro now. Can you talk a little bit about Good Work Austin and um what what starting that was all about and and why it's so important? Yeah, of course. Um
1: in 2017, when we were still very much struggling, 2017 was a really tough year for the restaurant industry nationally, and we were only in our second year here, um, or our first full year being open. Uh, the city council reached out to put together a group of businesses uh, to, to discuss paid sick leave, a paid sick leave ordinance for uh, the city of Austin. And um, we were a part of it, and it was great. Um, we hashed out uh a, a, i think a pretty decent leave ordinance and it was immediately challenged at the state uh by the state uh in courts and then the next year at the legislature where they tried to pass a um a preemption law that would block any local ordinance that superseded a that went further than the state uh than a spend the state law so that could be on wages, that could be on plastic bags, that could be on fracking it was going to really be this like universal preemption of local control um, what we what the businesses all kind of saw when we were showing up at the legislature and showing up in the courts was there the big lobbies on the on the one side who are saying this is bad for business, this is bad for employees, this is going to raise prices all the things that get said whenever there's any uh, kind of Progressive legislation that gets floated, whether it's from, you know, banning child labor to raising the minimum wage, um, all the things, all the same things seem to be true for those lobbying organizations. And we were just a bunch of individual businesses saying, no, actually, we can do this. And, And it's not, it didn't, we didn't have to close, we didn't have to fire people, we didn't have to raise prices. Um, and what came of that was saying we need to be able to tell these businesses that it's possible. We need to be able to start an organization where we can provide some support and some resources, some consulting, and then ultimately where we can also lobby as uh, as a as an association and not as you know these
2: handful of disparate businesses. Um,
1: and that's how we started. Uh, we were ready to really launch our full website in the, probably the summer of 2020. Um, we had had a couple of meetings, a couple of membership meetings and, um, and you know, then a couple of other things, a couple of other things happened, happened along the way. And GWA transformed considerably over, has transformed considerably over the last three years to, to meet the needs of, uh,
0: of the bar and restaurant community here. So we'll get into some of what happened, uh, obviously around March of 2020, but c- can you talk a little bit about what are some of the specific issues with Good Works Austin that, that you are trying to solve and, um, how is it that, that restaurants can, can pay people, uh, more fairly? Yeah, um, I feel
1: like most of the conversations
0: start with wages.
1: You've got to get everybody to a living wage. You've got to get people off of $2.13 an hour and ideally off of tips. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen until it happens on a much bigger scale nationally. It's just too hard to message that you're putting all of your costs into one um, into, into the price. It's just, the hospitality included is really hard to message because people still look at the prices and they're just going to think that you're more expensive than you are. So that's a lot of what we model, what we talk about first is like you can do it. it. It depends what kind of restaurant you are. You can do a service charge model. You can do service charge plus tips. You can do a higher hourly. Uh, if you're counter service, that one, that's a lot easier just to do, uh, just to include in prices, pay a higher hourly, um, pay a higher hourly and still in, and still uh um, uh accept tips and and that allows you to pay that allows you to distribute to the whole staff a little bit more equitably um what we've learned from our employees and from other restaurants uh from talking to from talking to each other is that um wages aren't enough and this is a very difficult industry um the hours uh, we're always working nights, we're always working weekends, we're always working holidays. Uh, so it's, it's discombobulating to your rhythms. It puts you into a weird social place. Um, it puts you in, the, in very close proximity to lots of alcohol all the time. That's your job. Um, and can uh, it can be very hard. And I think this, is, this has been a major topic of conversation in the restaurant industry for a while. And comes up every time somebody high profile kills themselves, um, or somebody high profile gets caught um, for some sort of stuff for for sexual harassment. Um, it's very hard to create, maintain stability and well being with all of those other factors. So healthcare, sick leave, childcare, mental health—these are all the things that end up you end up having to talk about after you've talked about wages. And, um good work has done a lot to develop relationships with uh, uh, with uh, direct primary care clinics so that it can be a lot less expensive and a lot more direct for employees to contact doc- employed doctors here. Um, we help, again, with uh, uh, help people craft. We share paid sick leave uh, uh, policies across the across our network so people can see different ways to implement them, different ways that it might be more or less affordable for them in the same way that we do with wage models. We're working with, uh, with a local nonprofit here, Early Matters, to on non-traditional childcare, non-traditional hour childcare options um, so that folks can figure out what they can do with their kids on weekends and evenings. Um, we have a relationship through the Mike and Sherry project, which a, a restaurant here, was Suerte, help, uh, was really instrumental in founding that uh, works with Capital Area Counseling, which is a nonprofit uh, counseling clinic to get low cost therapy. So uh, for, for, for hospitality employees, so our employees only have to pay $10 for as many sessions as they need. Um, and then with our community kitchen, um, we've created uh, more revenue for restaurants, which I think which is a huge part of the equation. So restaurants can prepare meals to deliver to. Um, we have contracts with the city. Uh, we've had contracts with the school district. We do other jobs with other nonprofits to to provide restaurant meals for various food insecure communities. And Good Work uh, either procures the contract or raises money, kind of like World Central Kitchen, to be able to pay those restaurants directly for that. And I think that one's really. That one's amazing and has been transformative, um, principally because we always had revenue co- revenue uh, stream conversations when we were talking about how to implement better wages, etc. And the things that people would talk about were like, "All right, well, we're closed for lunch, so maybe we can rent it out to uh, yoga. Maybe we can rent our dining room out to yoga classes. Maybe we can sell shirts. Maybe we can figure out a way to ship nationally." All these things that aren't really part of your business and just preparing more meals and, give, and, and providing them for other people in your city isn't very much a part of our business. So to have, uh, to have, another, uh, to have more income that doesn't stress the dining room uh, is, 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 like I said, just really transformative
0: um, and has created a lot of opportunities for us. If you like this interview and want to hear more, hit subscribe. Catch up on any Here to Help episodes you might have missed, like my conversation with Vincent Bragg, and get new ones delivered directly to you. More with Adam Orman after this break. So let's uh, let, let's jump ahead then. Um, to 2020 so you had been doing all this work this was the foundation and and really the infrastructure for for Locadoro and and Good Work Austin and then the pandemic hits and and just slams the the restaurant industry uh, head on and then not to mention here in Texas followed um, by the the winter storm that we had can you talk about what, what happened, um, for Locadoro and how you and, and Works and that infrastructure that you had built, um, really helped you to, to stay focused and, and, and survive and, and help others during this time.
1: Yeah, it was, um, it was amazing to be able to already have a network in place. And I know that's what a lot of restaurants created. Uh, immediately after the shutdown to try and find other restaurants locally or nationally that they could talk to, to try and figure out what to do. And we had um, a, we had a small group Uh, and by small, I mean, we, we had 50 to a hundred people on our mailing list at the time and about, you know, two dozen, three dozen who were interacting regularly and that uh, doubled almost instantly, and we had weekly meetings uh, on Zoom to talk about safety protocols for for uh, takeout for reopening, to talk about how to do takeout if it wasn't something that you'd done, which very technical stuff like which POSs were better for it, what what were the what were the uh, functionalities that you needed to be able to do takeout better to share medical information, um, but the I think most, uh, the community kitchen is what came out of that. That was, I think most impactful. Um, we already had relationships with, we because of the, with the city, because of the work we'd done on paid sick leave. So we were able to find, and it took, it took some work, we were able to find the agencies that were handling the food response to the pandemic and get contracts, uh, get contracts moved over to local restaurants. So, we worked with the school districts, we worked with Austin Public Health, we worked with the Emergency Operations Center, um, and we were coordinating throughout the majority of the pandemic about two dozen restaurants at a time providing meals. We sent out over two million meals uh, from May of, from June of 2020 through uh, August of 2021. We still have one. Temporary uh, transitional shelter that six GWA restaurants are providing three meals a day, seven days a week for. And then we still do a lot of work with um, different nonprofits around town, like Foundation Communities, which builds affordable housing. The Housing Authority of the City of Austin is another one that has that manages a bunch of apartment complexes and will do events for them. Um, and, uh, that, what that did was it enabled, especially because of the way relief ended up being structured, structured with PPP requiring that you to have employees, um, it, 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 it requiring you to have payroll, um, uh, mo- a lot of restaurants, especially not, especially in places where they weren't even allowed to be open yet in places that weren't Texas, uh, didn't know what to do with PPP because they didn't have employees. They weren't allowed to be open. This allowed us to just be open, providing meals, preparing meals for, uh, delivery to the school district and pay our employees with the, with federal, with the federal grants, federal loans, um, and keep them safe until we found out more about what was, um, until we found out more about COVID. Um, you know, it's, it's really easy. Now, I think to remember that there was such a long time in 2020 that we didn't know how it was, we didn't know how it was transmitted. We didn't know, um, we, j- we just, we, we knew so little and, uh, and our, we needed to keep our business alive. We really wanted to keep our employees employed, but we also really wanted to make sure that, uh, we kept, we
0: kept all of our employees and our guests safe. Yeah. So for the entire industry, just the idea—I mean, it was really pretty clearly an existential crisis. Like, how to survive through this, and and so many. We, you know, here in Austin, and I, I know it's true everywhere. There, there are so many places that just didn't make it through um, institutions that have been around for for, for decades. Here, um, can you talk a little bit about how how you managed to to keep the business together and open back up, and and are you know? Every time we're, we're just in uh, you know last week and and it seems like you're thriving now, so could, can you talk a little bit about how how the business survived, and maybe a little bit about your experience and how 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 you handled it and made it through?
2: Um,
0: yeah, I
1: the ties to the community and having work to do and knowing that I, I mean working going into being in crisis mode. Um, for this reason, was so much more satisfying and more fulfilling than the crisis mode of the first year of the restaurant, where we also were doing everything we could just to stay open. Um, this felt like, all right, we're doing everything we can to stay open. We're we're creating all these different models. Um, but we're also... But we're also helping uh, we're also helping people and figuring out and feeding people who can't otherwise pay for uh, for food right now. and I'm learning so much and and meeting you know uh, expanding this community from this was these were the Parts of the city that we were meeting with before the pandemic, and now we're in touch with all these other agencies and uh, and council members and nonprofits, and we're really bridging the gap between the folks who feed people who can pay for food and the folks who feed people who can't pay for food um, through things like the Office of Sustainability's uh, uh, food access conversations and food policy conversations. And that had never happened before. I mean, these were these two just totally distinct circles uh, that are both making food and sending it out to people in Austin but aren't talking to each other and aren't working together. And now they are. Um, And I think seeing that happen made it easier professionally to go on every day and also feel like I can't miss anything. I can't, um, I can't, I have to pursue every avenue because I don't know if it's going to end up being, if that's going to be, if that's going to be the person who's going to be able to get that contract, get that new contract, that's going to be able to provide another job for four more restaurants. Um, and how much is that going to matter? Um, how much is it going to matter to be able to get more, nu- more, more nutritious food to a place that has been just receiving food from, you know, frozen food from a big national catering chain? Um, and uh, how much more is it going to matter to keep that money in our local economy? That's going to get, and and not only during the pandemic, but uh, completely, uh, but all the time, you know, how much more does that make the small business community here sustainable? So there was a tremendous amount to learn. And that part was, that was really exciting. Um, personally, you know, I think like a lot of people, I got to the point where um, i needed to i needed to not be working at i needed to not wake up at 2:30 in the morning and start sending emails um i needed to uh i needed to, to drink less um i needed to figure out a way to exercise that where it wasn't like um uh where it wasn't behind the couch while my kids were watching while my kids were watching tv uh you know they're just i we all went through that for so long and had to go just didn't know how long it was going to last. And, um, and, and I at some point needed to realize that it was, it was not a sprint, um, that there were some elements of it that still felt like a sprint, but that, that it was also, that it was also a marathon. And, um, and I needed to
2: take care of myself, take care of my family. Um, and and that the business would what happened to the business was going to be what happened and
0: um Mm. well and what you said at the at the very start uh of of that last response also was very much how we thought about our experience at indeed which was you know we have this mission we help people get jobs as soon as the pandemic hit within six weeks 22 million americans lost their jobs and that mission was suddenly more vital than it had ever been. And with all the challenges that we were facing as a business and what all of the individuals were facing in their own homes and with their communities, that, that, that purpose, knowing that what we were doing was, uh, was being useful to others, that, that certainly carried me and and I think a whole lot of folks at Indeed through um, what was a really difficult time. Um, I'd love to, to start to, you know, think a little bit about where we are today and, and where we're going. So one of the things that we've seen in the industry, and I think some of the numbers that we talked about last week, roughly five percent of people who work in in the industry have left and, and are not don't seem to be coming back. They've moved on to to other uh areas and, and anyone who's gone to a restaurant and seen the help wanted signs everywhere um knows that that things certainly have changed. What what are some of the things that the industry has has learned from the pandemic and um what do you think the the future looks like
1: Uh, we had an opportunity during the pandemic and especially after george floyd's murder and the conversation about racial equity to reopen as an entire industry that was going to say um we're going to do better um, we are not going to pay two thirteen thirteen an hour. We recognize that, you know, of all the of all the different totems of racial inequity, here is this thing that is directly from slavery that we are no longer going to be a part of. Um And when you come back to work, you are going to be uh, treated like the essential worker
2: that you know, that we're saying you are during during the pandemic. Um,
1: and that that didn't happen, obviously in whole. Um, but it happened, but it, uh, um, but it did happen for a lot of restaurants, a lot of restaurants, a lot of small business owners, um, did reckon with what that meant. And I mean, um,
2: and, <clears throat> and I, I've seen,
1: you know, the service charge conversation happen in, more places we got to consult with restaurants from around the country about how to change their wage models, um, how we hire in locally, what good work Austin has done to try and create relationships with, uh, different groups from AI, from the school district, to the community college to multicultural refugee coalition, um, to nonprofits that work with foster youth to try and draw employees from different, uh, from different places uh then you know than just posting on poach um and relying on word of mouth i think that's changed i think the way the way you hire and train and try and create a more diverse workforce is something that you know a, a lot of businesses a, a lot of bars and restaurants are much more aware of um you know i, I saw the, the quick fix the signing bonuses that happened um Happened in a lot of industries and that's not, uh, you know, that's not a, that's not sustainable for the employee. That's not creating a a new way of life for them. Um, but it's still really hard and we congratulated ourselves in Austin and in Texas for not having as many places close as did in other States. Um, but they are now. Um, we lost three really important local businesses in the last month um, who are just still being beat up by a lot of the post-pandemic uh, problems, hiring, inflation. Um, all our costs have gone up and uh, and we were in a pretty good place to handle that because we had already done some, made so many of those changes before we reopened in terms of how we pay people. but. Um, but it's important, I think, for everybody to know that, you know, the, the reasons that restaurants are closing in 2022 are 2020 reasons. Um, there, this is, this is all
2: still kind of pandemic and pandemic relief backlash.
1: And um, we need to be, we need to be patient, we need to continue to be nimble, we need to continue to help each other figure out ways to,
0: to deal with um, this current reality. So, what are some of the things that, that can be done to advocate for for better work practices throughout the industry? Um,
1: I the biggest lesson I learned was that it comes back to community. That we're not competing with each other, independent restaurants, locally owned businesses. Um, we're we're competing with uh, we're competing to make Austin better. Um, we want to keep down the cost of living. We don't want to we want uh, we want to advocate for more affordability. We want to work together more you know uh, uh, to not let the big lobbying associations and the national chains dominate the narrative of the industry and let folks know what's possible um, and create more create more connections with the city,
0: create more connections with each other. so I, I know how important. Community is to to you and to Locadora, and that's really, um, I think, the inspiration for so much of what you do. Can you can you talk about the role of community and helps helps you think about the future of of your restaurant?
1: Yeah, I mean,
2: it it, it's at this point it really informs
1: how we talk about everything that we do. Um, It is it has been so inspirational knowing that there are other restaurants that want to listen to us, but it's also been, it's been way more important for me to hear from the food pantries we work with about how much their clients appreciate a cooked meal, um, that there are different needs. It's way more important for me to have heard from other restaurants about how they, uh, how they pay or provide benefits. Um, and that's a great way to be competitive. When I find out that somebody has is providing parental leave and we don't like Damn it, we gotta get we gotta figure out a way to get parental leave. Um, retirement funds, uh, things that other restaurants are doing. And it also helps us message if we're all um if we're all saying the same things about how we how and why we pay our employees the way we do. And now there's probably two dozen restaurants in Austin that provide that can include service charges, which is I think the most of any 213 city in in the country. Um, I know that there are people who are going to a coffee shop and hearing some of the same rhetoric. And so it's so much easier for us now. Um, And, and that, that makes a huge difference to not have to be the ones who are always explaining why we charge, why we have to charge what we charge. um, Because we're, we've had to do that. Restaurants that were sourcing well had to do that for decades to say, I'm sorry that you have to pay this much for salmon here and not, and so much less over there, but our, this is why, uh, as opposed to the onus being on the folks who are getting the, the the shrimp frozen and flown in from halfway around the world that was unsustainably farmed in the first place, um, you know they should be the ones who are explaining why it costs so little. And of course, because of the way we subsidize agriculture in this country um, and a number of other reasons, that's not the case. And um, you know, kind of back to answering the other question. Question: That's a really important part of of community and advocating as well, being able to have a louder voice. And um, you know, it was really nice in the last. Uh, in the that's one small part of the Inflation Reduction Act was um, uh, Texas got tens of millions of dollars for uh, food for institutions to buy uh, food from local farms. And that's something that Good Work Austin and one of our uh, one of our nonprofit partners, El Buen Samaritano, are hoping to uh, access, to be able to provide their clients with food from our restaurants that is purchased from local farms and to be able to have a small subsidy to be able to afford that and be able to provide it for, for less money. That's, yeah, and I, I mean, so in a nutshell, that last relationship between us and El Samara, between Locodoro and all the restaurants and El Buen Samaritano and Good Work Austin and being able to advocate for, uh, uh, for policies that support that local food chain, um, is why
2: community matters.
0: Well, um, we're at the end of our time here and the, um, we always close with the, the same question, which is given everything that we've been through now um, since the start of the pandemic, with all of its challenges, what, if anything, has left you with some optimism for the future?
1: I do a couple of things. The bar has been raised for sure. Uh, I, think that, I think that people expect, I think that owners of restaurant, restaurant owners expect more of themselves and their colleagues. And aren't afraid to, uh, aren't afraid to, I don't want to say call each other out, but, but bring each other in, um, you know, to say, we want to help you do better. Um, and that's happened. I know that that's happened in a number, in a bunch of cities across the country. I was just in DC and there were more restaurants that had service charges than didn't. And Four years ago in D.C., they went to the mat to, to, to try and defeat a, a one fair wage proposal. So there's been a huge change there. Um, and uh, and good work, Austin. Uh, the amount that we've grown, what we were able to do during the amount of meals we were able to provide during the storm. And that's become a, during the, that's become a real part of our mission uh, and that we're opening a... Uh, cafe, the first nonprofit cafe in central Texas, um, to help with workforce training, which I know is something that, um, is very near and dear to you and, uh, and also to pr- help with food access. Um, and we've gotten to visit other nonprofit cafes around the country who are doing this work in Dallas and Fort Worth and new Orleans and Seattle and Cleveland and New York. Uh, there are a number of them. They're doing amazing stuff for their employees they're providing great meals, they all have slightly different models, but the things that you hear from the employees who were saved from,
2: you know, uh, um, otherwise rough employment futures,
1: uh, is, is amazing, is, is amazing. And that we will be able to use food and restaurants to create that change for
0: real people in our city. Um, that makes me optimistic. So before we close out, I just want to clarify for folks, Locadoro, L-apostrophe-O-C-A-D-apostrophe-O-R-A, locadoroaustin.com, and also goodworkaustin.org. If there's any other places that uh, people should uh, go to find out more about the amazing work you're doing, um, please let us know.
1: Uh, No, those are the, those are the places. Um, Yeah. The cafe will likely be open in the beginning of next year. So if you are in Austin or traveling to Austin, um, please come by and see
0: what kind of stuff, see what we're doing. Um, The food's going to be great. Yeah. And, and I I just want to close by saying, uh, we didn't get to talk too much about the Tagliatelle because we're talking about tipping and, uh, and benefits and and all of those things um, I said up front locadora is my favorite restaurant in Austin all of these reasons are part of it, but it really is about the food um, and and my theory and i've i 've talked to Adam about this before uh, I think when you have have a place where the people who work there are treated well um, they just do better things and obviously you know, fiore I think is is a genius but the the whole place, when you go in there, you you get a sense of community that is very different than walking into other places, and the, the food and the service and everything is absolutely extraordinary. For anyone listening who hasn't been there, uh, go on Open Table, uh, make a reservation. There's some amazing stuff coming up in September, the Feast of San Gennaro and other things that all of the amazing things that you all do to, to make it um, such an incredible and vibrant place. So uh, thank you for Adam, for, for joining me today, but thank you everything for everything that you do to uh, keep Austin well-fed and to, and to raise these incredibly important issues about what it means to, to try to take some of these incredibly deeply ingrained problems that we have in, in our industry and to, uh, and to paint a picture of a brighter future. So thank you for all of that. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. I really appreciate it. Here to Help is a production of Indeed. Today's episode was produced by Aidan McLaughlin, Evan Fallon, Verna Lee James, and the Blue Suitcase Productions team in Austin, Texas, with technical support from Jacob Bennett and Jason Bowling. Thanks for listening to Here to Help. Don't forget to like subscribe and download the podcast to stay up to date with the latest episodes until next time.